Jesus. So I'm just telling you up front, what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to start off uh, preaching you uh, plausibility, and I'm going to start off preaching things that you have heard and know, and I'm probably by the end going to uh, begin to preach things that are, uh, the best way I can describe it is just divine mystery. Are we okay with that? And so there's a chance at the end, rather than having an aha moment, everyone in here might go, I don't know what to do now. Right? Yeah. We're just going to interject a good dose of mystery back into the system. And uh, I want to do that on purpose because I actually think this is one of the ways that Jesus works most profoundly. Uh, it's not always in the ways that we understand, but there's a, there's a sense in which the very life of Jesus and the very method of Jesus oftentimes brings us to this spot where we go, I don't know what's next, if that makes sense. And so if at the end you're like, that was, that, the first third was amazing, you know? And then at the end you might go, I don't know, that, you're great, you're normal, okay? Because these are things I'm still working through as well. Uh, here's what I want to do tonight. I want to break this message or this talk into three pieces uh, when it comes to the methods of Jesus. I want to talk to you in three very specific ways. I want to talk to you about uh, Jesus' method of power first. The second thing I want to talk to you about is uh, Jesus' method of service. And then finally tonight, I want to talk to you about uh, the Jesus method of weakness. And not just a little bit of weakness, but profound weakness. Okay? So we're going to talk about power for just a few minutes. I want to talk about service for a moment or two. And then I want to talk to you in the end about weakness. But before we do that, uh, I want to start here. Uh, how many people are in the room are obsessed with YouTube? Anybody here just like, is YouTube a black hole for anybody in here? Yeah, it's like, I could watch cat videos all day long. <laughs> No, that's not true. That's actually not true. But I am obsessed with YouTube. Uh, I love YouTube. I really, really love it. I love it for all kinds of different reasons. Like one of the things that I love about YouTube is I, about a year ago, I got addicted to watching mountain bike videos. So like point of view mountain bike videos. There are insane people that live in the world. And this is basically what they do. Uh, they put, they put uh, little GoPro cameras on gimbals and they wear them on their chests. Uh, they get on oversized mountain bikes and they throw themselves off of mountains. Uh, have you seen these things? It's bonkers. It's totally bonkers. Uh, if you've not watched these, you might be thinking, I can't even ride a bike. It doesn't matter. I'm telling you, go on tonight, watch a YouTube video of a, of a foolish young man throwing himself off a cliff, and, and you can just see it, like, firsthand. So I watch those. Uh, there's other things I like to watch on YouTube as well. I, I love watching uh, um, CrossFit competitions on YouTube. I love watching these. I, I'm, I'm impressed with all the CrossFit athletes. I'm impressed with the guys. But I'll just be honest, I'm most impressed with, with the females. Like these Sheena warrior princesses, you know? They can just pick up like 300 pounds straight over their head and throw it, you know? And then they can like run a marathon. And then at the end, they barely have any sweat. It's like, who are these Vikings? <laughs> I, I love it. And it's, there's just this endless supply of these videos. But then I also like to watch like uh, yoga videos, and then I try to do it, you know? It's amazing. There's, there's all kinds of stuff 
on there. I, I get really obsessed with it. Uh, and also, my, my 12-year-old daughter, she oftentimes wants me to watch uh, this little show, and maybe you've watched it too. Uh, anybody in here seen Good Mythical Morning? Anybody know what that is? Your kids love this, I'm telling you. Okay, it's hysterical. It's these two goofy guys from, I think, North Carolina, and they have a, they have a show, and, and each episode will get millions of views. And here's basically what they do on their show. They'll get like every hamburger from every fast food place, they'll eat it and rape them, you know? And you think, that's stupid. And it really is. <laughs> but it's kind of great. And so I watch it with Magnolia. But the thing I really love about YouTube is you can figure out how to do stuff on YouTube. How many of you have ever gone to YouTube to figure out how to do stuff? Yeah, it's all on there. You know, I love it when people ask me questions and it's like, well, if you didn't know that, why are you, why didn't you just go to YouTube? Like, why are we even talking? I have a theory that in 60 years, human beings won't even talk anymore. We're, we're just going to be like non-communicative uh, mammals. Well, I, maybe we'll still be mammals by then. I don't know. We might be cyborgs. Anyway, but you can find out how to do anything on there. Uh, last year, I was really proud of myself. In fact, I'm still so proud of myself. I'm going to tell you this story. I, I went on YouTube. And I, uh, I figured out how to install a dimmer switch on, on a light switch in my kitchen. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, that's right. I did not burn the house down. It's still there. And I didn't even get shocked. I like turned the right breaker off and I, I did the wiring thing and I watched the YouTube. And man, my wife came home and I was like, hey babe, I put a dimmer that you've been asking for. I, there it is. And she was like, great. And she just like, oh, okay. And she walked out of the room. I'm like, what is this garbage? What, what? You know? Anyway, but then later, after I figured out you could learn anything on YouTube, I went and fixed my radio in my car on YouTube. I have like a Volvo, which they're cool, but they're kind of not, you know? And, and, and there, are, there are magicians on YouTube who can teach you how to fix even Volvos, you know? I did that, and again, it didn't burn the car down, and I didn't get damaged or harmed, and was pretty stoked about that. Also learned how to prune my vineyard. Like I told you last night, we have eight acres of wine grapes. Back in the day, when we planted these wine grapes, this is how foolish we are in my family. We just planted wine grapes. We had no idea how to grow them. <laughs> Up to and including, we didn't know how to prune them, so I had to go on YouTube, and I watched guys from Napa Valley prune grapes, and I would hold my phone, and I would prune it. <laughs> Does it look right? I, I don't know what to do, you know? And, and then I realized that the first time that I watched the YouTube videos on how to prune, and I pruned two entire acres, and I get to the end of it and realize that I had done it wrong. That's a bummer. It's a real bummer. But on the third acre, we started getting it right, and after a couple of years, we started figuring it out. But yeah, you can learn, you can learn anything on YouTube. And, some of you are like, well, I don't know. I'm telling you, it's all on there. If you have questions about recording, YouTube. If you have questions about how to raise a bearded dragon, it's on YouTube. Uh, we have a little animal lizard at my house. It's, it's Rowan's lizard, it's this little, anybody here have an animal lizard? Yeah, they're great. They're really cool. And, and, and we have forgotten to buy many crickets. And so we get on YouTube and find out, like, what, can, what else can you feed animal lizards? Apparently, you can feed them, like, little roly-poly bugs. 
And so we were outside finding them. Sure enough, man, you put one in there, and that little guy's right on it, you know? It's amazing. It, everything is on YouTube. And, and I, think, I think the reason we like that kind of thing, and I think the reason YouTube is what it is beyond just the entertainment, I, I think one of the reasons that we're so into all this, all this stuff is because at a very like primal level, uh, there's something in YouTube uh, that is speaking to us at this really like gut mammalian level where we know we need help. Right? Like we know we need help. And I think there's something about that whole system that is giving us feedback saying there is help. It's kind of comforting to know that if you need help, there's a place you can go and you can find help. I think it's like touching that, that human need for uh, help and growth and, and, and process. And, and some of you in this room right now are thinking, I hate all of that stuff. You know, I hate YouTube. Yeah, I'll guarantee you that you're the very people who get sucked into watching, like, house-flipping shows and British baking shows, right? <laughs> Bunch of wackos. <laughs> yeah, like, have you ever thought about that? Like, why does anyone like a British baking show? I mean, aside from their very cute accents, you know? Why does anyone like that? I think, I think we like that show I mean, when you, when you, can you imagine being the guy who pitched that to the producers? Got an idea. We're going to, like, bake cakes. <laughs> like, 16 episodes of desserts. Sounds great. Let's spend millions of dollars producing it. Like, why? I think it's touching that human thing on the inside of us that likes to be shown how to do things. It's, it's touching that thing inside of us that knows at a very deep level we need help. And that there is a way to do things. There is a process for things, you know? Why do we like house flipping shows? Uh, we like house flipping shows because we like knowing that, that you could like take something terrible and there's a process for making it great. And, and at the end, like maybe something good could happen. I think all of that is sort of feeding into that narrative. And so I'm only telling you these silly stories right now uh, just to set this idea up that, that Jesus has methods. Uh, Jesus has processes. Jesus has a way of working in the world. And, and the first way that Jesus works in the world, like you can't hardly even flip through the Bible without noticing it, is that Jesus, uh, he's, he's powerful. You guys notice that? Like, Jesus, he's pretty amazing. Uh, sick people get well. Not only that, but like demonically oppressed people get set free. Uh, Jesus is so powerful that he could just preach a message and demons would manifest. Uh, one of the very, very funny parts of the Gospel of Mark for me is that in the Gospel of Mark, all the demons are in church. <laughs> that runs against most of our theology. See, we thought, we grew up thinking that like all the demons are at the bar, you know? Or all the demons are at the, at the casino, they're at the boat, you know, or at the horse track, or, they're out, they're out wherever prostitution is happening. That's where the demons are. The Gospel of Mark's like, not really, they're all at church. <laughs> Which should make everyone here feel great. <laughs> you could turn to your neighbor and say, maybe it's me. <laughs> maybe it's you. <laughs> but Jesus has power. And so here's what I want to do. I want to... 
read you a little passage out of Luke chapter 9. We'll put it up on the big screens, on the mega screens. It goes like this. It's just six verses. It goes like this. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority. Power meaning ability, authority meaning permission. To drive out all demons, all the demons, even the ones at church, even the ones here tonight. And cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for your journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and they went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. And I'm just reading you this passage because it's kind of a nice little encapsulation, not only of Jesus' ministry, but like the ministry that he tag teams and gives his disciples. I, I hope you know this tonight. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been given power and authority. You've been given ability and permission to kick out all demons and to cure diseases. I'll tell you a couple uh, very quick stories. Uh, it's not just in the Gospels, but it's in real life, too. Um, a few years ago, there's a family who was at my church. Uh, they're still there. They were there almost at the very beginning. I know these people extremely well. <clears throat> and they had a couple sons already, and then they had a third-born son, and their third-born son, his name was Elijah. Sweet little boy. And Elijah was a great little kid. Uh, the only problem was that Elijah was born 100% deaf. And the parents didn't know this coming into it. There was no sign that in utero that Elijah had any problems whatsoever. And you can imagine that the parents were actually fairly distraught, you know? Um, they didn't know how to raise uh, a little deaf baby and they weren't sure what they were gonna do. And so uh, the father calls me one day and he says, Adam, do you care if, if we come by your office and maybe you and the staff, or if there's an elder around, could just, would you just pray for my son? And of course, of course we'll pray for Elijah. And they brought Elijah by, and I'll never forget it as long as I live. I was just sitting in my chair, and Elijah's just a tiny little guy. He's just, he's just like a month old, and he's sitting right on my lap. You know, just the way a baby can just sit right there on your lap. And I'm looking at him, and everybody's kind of gathered around us, and sitting on the floor, and we all just put our hand right on Elijah's head, and we prayed. And can I tell you something? We didn't even pray very good. Like, we were kind of, I just, I don't remember my prayer anyway. My prayer was pretty pathetic. Like, it was not great. I think I, I think I stuttered a word or two. Like, I didn't know really what to pray. It's like, I don't know what to do. You know, I just, you could just feel the gravity of the room. And so we just prayed very simply. We just said, Lord, we don't know what to do. But we just feel like, we feel like this is a demonic assignment against this young man's divine destiny. How many of you know that, that Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament and prophets who speak need to be able to hear? And we just felt like, oh, this is an assignment from the demonic realm against his divine destiny. And we just prayed, God, like, Elijah's should have ears, right? And we just pray, God, would you hear him? And the parents went back to the doctor that next week for a checkup, 
and Elijah had 25% hearing. We were like, we were like, we were like, this is, we were, we were kind of shocked. Which is funny, because I've seen people healed before this little thing starts happening. But every time someone gets healed, I'm always surprised. I'm like, ah, you know? Anyway, so they come back, everybody's kind of jazzed, and they're like, we should pray again. I said, I agree, let's pray again. So we prayed for Elijah. They go back to the doctor, and Elijah has more than 70% of his hearing. Something is clearly up. They come back, we pray again. They go back the next week. Elijah has 100% healing. 100% healing. And he's back. But to this day, to this day, he's like an 11 year old boy and he's like totally normal. He was born 100% deaf. The doctors are dumbfounded. They, they, there's like no category, you know? Uh, I think in the file they wrote spontaneous recovery. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just the power of God, right? It's the power of the gospel. It's Luke chapter 9, 1 through 6. Preach good news and heal the sick, right? Tell you another story. Um, similarly, several years ago, there's a construction worker at my church, a guy named Mike. Mike's a big guy, huge guy, actually. He, he's like 6'6", six, six, and he looks like a, looks like a linebacker. He's just, just a ripping, strong guy. And Mike came to church one Sunday morning and he's visibly distraught. Like, you can tell some, I'm, I'm not always perceptive, uh, but I was like, wow, he, I, even I can tell Mike's not okay, you know? And so at the end of service, Mike comes up to me and he says, Pastor Adam, we have to pray. I said, why Mike? And he said, well, I was on the job the other day and I got, I, I started feeling horrible and I got a splitting headache and I went to the emergency room and they ran some tests on me and anyway, they did an MRI on my on my head and, or some kind of scan. I don't know. They did a head scan. Is that medical enough for you? They put his head in a scanner. Anyway, after they put his head in the scanner, they got a printout and there was a tumor in his brain, you know? And it was about the size of a quarter. And he was telling me that Sunday morning, he's like, I'm a dead man, right? And he's visibly shaken and this is a guy who's not afraid of anything, and all of a sudden, just the imminence of his own possible mortality is just sitting upon him. And, and I said, well, let's pray. And I look around, and the ministry team is praying for other people, and it's like just me, and I'm feeling super weak all of a sudden because I can see the paper that has the quarter in his brain. You know, I'm like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> and across the corner, I saw a couple of our middle school boys, and I thought, I, I feel like I need backup. So I, I said, hey, boys, come over here. Let's pray for this guy. And so uh, there was about three middle school boys and I, and we, we laid our hands on Mike, and I prayed a little bit, but, but the boys actually prayed more than me. And, and they didn't pray impressive prayers. They didn't pray long prayers. I think we prayed like maybe, maybe like two or three minutes. It was really short. But in that moment of praying for Mike, Mike got really hot, and he got red. He got like beet tomato red all over his body, and he started sweating. And I was like, "Wow, oh, something's happening here." And we just, we just, we just leaned into prayer for another minute, and we just kind of said, "Amen." It felt right. And then he went back to the doctor that following Wednesday, and they they did a they did a head scan thing again. And when they got the printout, whatever that quarter thing was, was just completely gone. 
And I, I saw both of the pieces of paper, you know? It's like Luke chapter 9, 1 through 6. What, what are the methods of Jesus? I just want you to know, one of Jesus' main methods is power. Jesus heals sick people. Jesus, uh, he drives out demons. He drives out the things that oppress people, that weigh them down, that cause them to not be able to flourish. Uh, not only that, but Jesus has good news for the poor. Jesus has a way of, of turning the rich and the powerful on their heads and raising up the weak and the lowly. He's, he's just like got all kinds of power. It's one of Jesus' methods. But it's not his only way. Second method of Jesus is service. I want to read you another passage. This is out of Mark chapter 10. This is also fairly famous. It goes like this. Uh, then James and John, sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Well, what do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can. I love the confidence. <laughs> Just Here's a little pastor lesson. If Jesus starts asking you questions... Your answer should be, I don't know. Or, or you know, Lord. <laughs> Confident assertions of, I can, probably not going to go great. Jesus said to them, oh yeah, well you will drink the cup that I drink and you will be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit in my right hand or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. They became indignant with them. And he says this, he says, he says, you know, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Imagine this. Imagine Jesus, who has power, kicks out every demon, heals every disease, looks at his disciples and says, Guys, I didn't come here to be served. I came here to serve. I'm still blown away by this passage. Uh, Jesus is not just running around kicking out demons and putting on a good show. Jesus is a servant. And that's a really stunning thought. Jesus is a servant. And by the way, Jesus is a servant not to the good people, not to the worthy people, not to the high people, not necessarily like to the rich and famous, not to the glamorous. Like Jesus is a servant to the worst folks. Like Jesus has such low standards. He will serve anyone, you know? He's running around and he's being a servant. And one of my favorite things to do, I don't know if this is true for you, but one of my favorite things to do in, uh, in terms of connecting with my wife is uh, we love to go out to dinner together. You might hear like to go out to dinner with your, your special someone. Yeah, love to go out to dinner. And when we go out to dinner, there's something really wonderful when you have a server who's like there but kind of like not there. 
You know, when the server gets in the booth with us and wants to be friends, I'm kind of like, I'm not. <laughs> it's like, I don't even know you, right? Really great service at a really great restaurant. Like, it's happening around you, and you're almost unaware of it, and you're able to just remain having eye contact and conversation with the person you came to be there with, right? Yeah, I love that. It's an amazing thing. And on a similar note, how many of you know that the best kind of service is sometimes almost barely perceptible? I just want to interject back into that. In this moment, Jesus says, I came to serve. And you know what? He did just that. I want to remind you of one of Jesus' miracles. In John chapter 2, uh, Jesus performs a stunning miracle. You could put it in that power category, right? But it doesn't just fit in the power category because Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve. So here's what happens. In John chapter 2, uh, there's a wedding. Somebody has the good sense to invite Jesus. Jesus shows up. He brings all of his buddies. And maybe because Jesus came with all of his buddies or maybe because the guy who has the wedding didn't plan real well, uh, they ran out of wine. Which would have been like the worst thing that could happen. You know, it would have been super embarrassing. Uh, has anybody here ever invited guests over the house and you like ran out of food and drinks and you're like, calling Domino's? <laughs> no, really, we wanted you to be here. Yeah, so that happens and they run out of wine and Jesus' mom is like, hey, you got to do something about this. And he's like, what does this have to do with me, woman? And she was like, well, it does have something to do with you. And he's like, okay, mom, I'll do something. And so Jesus goes in the back and he, 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 finds, he finds the guy who's kind of running the show and he says, hey, Go fill up the, the washing jars. There were six stone washing pots for like washing your hands so you could eat, you know. Go fill them up all the way to the brim with water. And so they do. When they get back, he says to the servant, uh, draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And so he takes it out and goes to the head waiter. And somewhere in there, it become wine. Now, John gives us this little like detail. Uh, there were six stone water jars, each containing uh, 20 to 30 gallons apiece. Like, again, I'm not a mathematician. I told you that last night. But I think that's like 120 to like a lot, right? <laughs> like there's more than 120 gallons of wine there. How many of you know that's a lot? Okay, I'm a wine maker, okay? We have barrels of wine. I'll tell you, that's somewhere between 1,300 and 1,600 bottles of wine. So what does Jesus do? I'll just give you this like little take on the story. Jesus makes... 1,500 bottles of wine for people who had already had too much to drink. <laughs> That'd be one way of understanding this story. Okay, that's not the end of the story, though. Some of you are like, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, hey, they had already drank all the wine. We know they've already had too much. And Jesus shows up and is like, 1,500 more. I was telling the staff here this morning about this little story. Like, you can never separate goodness from danger. Jesus knows this, right? Anyway, uh, everyone's blown away because if this is like the best wine. Everybody's like, wow, I can't believe this amazing wine. You know, where did it come from? And here's what's interesting about this story. At the end of the story, no one gives Jesus a hand clap. No one's like, what? That was amazing, Jesus! No one, no one ran out to the MC of the wedding, grabbed a microphone, was like, hey, 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 Jesus, everybody give it up to Jesus! 
No one, like, I know I've read this story like a bunch. No one even says thank you. Right? In fact, it's actually worse than that. The guy who didn't have enough wine, the guy who's getting married and who didn't make appropriate preparations, that guy, in the end, that guy gets all the credit. That bridegroom guy gets all the credit. Meanwhile, the only people who knows what's happened are who? The servants. Couple things here. Number one, Jesus is a servant. Jesus' method is to be a servant. Number two, if you want to know what God is up to, if you want to know the secrets in the kingdom of God, be a servant. Be a servant. It's possible. You can be a servant. You can just like do the things that are around the corner and in the back. Now, because I'm a preacher, I have to drop this one last note in on this story, even though it has very little to do with my message, okay? Because I'm a preacher. Uh, in this story, the bridegroom who did not make preparations gets all the credit. But there's an eschatological note in this little story, and in the end, Jesus is the bridegroom who will get all the credit. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's how this works. But for us, Jesus' methods, Jesus's methods are power and service, and we see both of them here. Want to know what's going on in God's kingdom? Be a servant. Want to know what's happening? Be a servant. Not only that, but later on in the same gospel, in the gospel of John, Jesus gets down on his hands and his knees and he washes the feet of his disciples. Y'all remember that part? All right, let's think about who's around the table for a minute. Uh, Andrew was there. Uh, Peter's there. James is there. John's there. Who, who else is there? Judas is there. Wait. Wait. Bartholomew's there. Thomas. Freaking doubter. <laughs> it's not a great group, is it? They're, it's not, they're not impressive. Not, not only is it not a great group, like if we're honest, they're not that great. Jesus didn't pick all-stars. You know, there's not a LeBron in the room. Too soon? <laughs> I don't know. Is it okay? I don't know. Anyway, anyway, so imagine this. Jesus, who has for three and a half years kicked butt and taken names, had every answer to every question, healed every disease, kicked out every demon, 150 gallons of wine, like all the parties, multiplied food, done every, walked on water, everything. And then imagine Jesus is like on his hands and flipping knees and he's washing the feet of Peter, who in a few hours would deny him three times after saying, Lord, wherever you go, even if they kill you, I'm going with you. I'm your guy. You know, and Jesus is down there like taking the dust off that dude's feet. And then he comes over to Judas, who had already sold him out, probably had the silver in his pocket jangling around, right? Jesus on his hands and knees serving those guys. Let that just, what, is, what are Jesus' methods? 
call service. And, and Jesus doesn't just serve like the honorable or the good or the lofty or the people who follow all the rules. Jesus will serve deniers and traitors and unbelievers and weak people. I'll just tell you this. One of my favorite things about Jesus is like after he's resurrected, okay? We'll just jump to the end of the story real quick. One of my favorite things about Jesus is after he's resurrected, he goes to Peter, who denied him three times, and he says, hey, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, oh, you know I love you. Oh, feed my lambs. What is that? Service, right? But it's also including Peter back into the game. And so three times for every denial, Jesus brings Peter back onto the team. And here's what I believe. I believe Jesus is the sort of guy who, that if Judas had not gone out and hung himself, Jesus would have went and found Judas and brought him back onto the team too. Right? Why? Because Jesus is really good. And can I tell you something? You and I, we probably wouldn't be like that. If we got raised up, if we got raised from the dead, uh, we would go find the guys who sold us out, denied us, and sold us for 30 pieces of silver, and we would have been like, how do you like me now? You know? <laughs> uh, we, we would have... Back. <laughs> you know? But he doesn't do that. No, Jesus is a servant. And he's humble and he's kind. What are the methods of Jesus? Uh, Jesus is power guy, but Jesus is also a servant. I just want to put up a quote here from Martin Luther King Jr. If we've got that one on the slides. Look what MLK says. He says, everyone can be great. Why? Because Anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. Somebody heard the gospel. That's it. That's it. Okay. I want to talk to you real quick about weakness. Now we wade into the murky waters of paradox and mystery. Uh, Jesus' third method was weakness. And I just want to throw a couple thoughts out here for you. Uh, Jesus' whole ministry is, for the most part, invitational. Uh, meaning, meaning this, Jesus is utterly God, and at the same time, Jesus is not the least bit coercive or manipulative. So, for instance, what you'll find in the Gospels is that Jesus never coerces people into doing things for him. Read for that. He never makes people do things they don't want to do. Uh, Jesus is always the guy who's inviting. Have you noticed that? Jesus is never like, well, you got to do this or this, you know? Jesus is not like a mob boss. He doesn't coerce or manipulate people. Jesus is the invitational guy. And even though he could have laid more claims on people, he would always choose a weaker, softer Method. Secondly, when Jesus was tempted by the devil, and I hope you remember that story, he's tempted in three ways. Uh, the devil comes to him and is like, why don't you turn those stones into bread? I'm sure you're hungry. And Jesus is like, no, uh, man doesn't live on bread alone. And then the devil says to him, hey, why don't you go to the temple, go to the peak and throw yourself off and let the angels catch you? And Jesus is like, no. And then finally the devil says to Jesus, why don't you just bow down and worship me? I'll give you everything. You remember that? Remember that? And Jesus refuses all three of those. Uh, he stands against all those temptations. And those temptations, uh, they mean something like this. 
Uh, Jesus was tempted to be uh, successful or to be, uh, to be relevant in making bread. In making bread out of stones, Jesus is tempted to be relevant or maybe successful. In throwing himself off of the peak of the temple and being called by angels, Jesus is essentially being tempted to be spectacular. And then finally, in bowing down and worshiping the devil to receive the kingdoms of the world, uh, the devil is offering him the temptation to be powerful. And in all three of these places, Jesus says, no, uh, I'm not mostly looking to be relevant, uh, to be spectacular, or to be powerful. And by the way, everybody here who is a disciple of Jesus, you will face these same three temptations, especially if you become a leader. You'll constantly be uh, offered uh, the temptation to be successful, relevant, spectacular, powerful. Those are the things in Jesus' says. No. Uh, we're trained from a young age to value these things and then to use them for Jesus. Can I tell you a scourge that's on the church right now, especially for pastors and leaders and worship leaders and everybody who stands on stage and holds a microphone? Uh, it is the scourge of influence, to be an influencer for Jesus. This is a huge, huge problem. But in the end, in the end, Jesus does the weakest thing of all, and he dies. It's the ultimate act of weakness. Uh, it's a stumbling block for the Jews, and it's foolishness for the Gentiles. That's what Paul says. It's a stumbling block, and it's foolishness because gods do not die. But in his death, God was up to something more. Let me ask you this this evening. Uh, how many people here have ever been weak and really, really unspectacular? <laughs> How many right now are really weak and super unspectacular? Yeah. Uh, I've got good news for you. I've got good news for you. In the very places that you are the weakest, uh, the most unspectacular, in the very places that you are the most dried out and possibly dead, the good news is you might be entering into the very truest part of God's kingdom. God, uh, Paul says uh, about his own walk with God, uh, that God spoke back to him in a, in, a, in a very tender moment. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What are the methods of Jesus? Weakness is one of his main methods. All the places that you feel inadequate, all the places that you are utterly unspectacular, where you literally have no good ideas, all the places that you and I feel dead, all the places where you've lost hope, where nothing works, uh, those are the places that are vulnerable to God. Those are the places that are vulnerable to the power of Christ. And, and, and another question here for you, uh, who can be weak? Who in this room could be weak? You know, if I ask who in this room could be strong, few hands would go up. But if I ask who in this room could be weak, we'd all have to admit, well, that's probably me, isn't it? I could be weak. Uh, who has what it takes to be not enough? <laughs> in all the places where you are not enough, that is where resurrection flows. The very spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, as Paul says. Uh, how many of you understand this? You enter the world weak, you will leave this world weak. The middle is kind of an illusion. 
And the good news is this. If you can... If you can believe it anyway, that in your weakness God will use all that you did not have and could not give to build eternity. That's the good news. The weak are the first to learn surrender. And I just want to briefly tie this up and tell you why it matters. Here's why all of this matters. It matters because power without service or an awareness that God is often doing His best work through weakness makes one a megalomaniac. Even if you're doing good things for God, if you have power from the Holy Spirit without a heart for service or an awareness of your own weakness, you will become a megalomaniac. Even if you're doing things, quote-unquote, for Jesus. How many of you have ever met someone who was very anointed in ministry, but on the inside was a house of horrors? Oh, man. I've noticed something else about people who are drawn to power without an awareness of service or their own weakness. I've noticed that people who love power, who love God's power, often love power in general more than God, and that they are bent towards all power, especially political power. But power with service and an awareness of weakness allows us to keep our humanity. It keeps us from ending up what I call charismatic denial. And by the way, charismatic denial requires us to become less and less human in order to meet an unspecified God marker of power. What is charismatic denial? It's like... It's like, just, just we're just going to believe the right stuff, right? We're just going to keep believing, keep believing, keep believing. Even though maybe God is doing something different, we just keep amping it up, keep it amping it up. Okay, what is service without power? Here's what this means. Service without power means we're only doing what we're capable of. So if you're committed to service, even if it's service... In some of the ways that Jesus does, without power, it's 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 just commitment, and 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 it's it's just it's just leaning into the things that you're capable of. Uh, we miss the parts where God might want to do more. And service without weakness, service without weakness, it, it means that we might become tribal and just serve our own or those who look a lot like us. Service without weakness means that we might just try to serve people who look like us and who are from our particular tribe or who vote like us or who live near us or who think like us or who were raised like us. But in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus says, if you give a drink to the thirsty or clothe the naked, read for that the utterly weak, you did it for me, he says. He says he didn't just do it for me, he says he did it to me. Meaning that Jesus is what? The weak guy. What about weakness without power? Uh, weakness without power is hopeless. What about weakness without service? It's another form of selfishness. Where we get served, where we get served, where we get served out of our brokenness and we can never see beyond our own needs. Here's what I believe. I believe the call of God for us as a church is to lean into all three. Not one, not two, but all three. To, to, to fully embrace the message of Jesus, 
but then to also fully embrace the methods of Jesus, leaning into power, leaning into service, leaning into our own weakness, even the places where we feel inadequate and where we are not enough, knowing that God might want to do more. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, here's what I want to do tonight. I want to ask the Holy Spirit to come and move on us for a little bit. Looks like we got time as well. Everybody good? Yeah. Holy Spirit, we love you in this room. We ask that you would come and do the things that you can do. We just acknowledge that you are here and we ask that you would wake us up even a little more. the Lord may want to do a couple things, uh, at least to, to start here for a moment. Uh, I feel like one of the things that maybe God wants to do in this room tonight is He wants to touch people who have not seen a miracle in their life, who have not seen like people respond to the inbreaking of the kingdom, uh, that you maybe even during the course of this evening or through other evenings that are somewhat like this, uh, you have just become awake to the fact that you don't really have any great stories to tell, you know? Uh, and that there's a desire in you to have a story to tell about how God wants to set people free and, and he wants to use you and people like you to do it. Uh, is that anybody here you're just like, oh, I want, I want to have some stories to share. And I just realized I don't, I don't have any, or maybe I don't have many. Is that anybody here? 
And we just want to pray for that tonight. Why don't you just stand up right where you're at? Let's just do this. Come on. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is, this is, God loves doing this kind of thing. And by the way, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3, he's talking about spiritual gifts. He's like, uh, you should eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Uh, the word there is, uh, it's almost like you should lust for spiritual gifts. You should really want them. So to stand up and say, you know what, I want to have like some stories like that. That's not illegal in church. It's like really good. It's, it's, it's really good. We want to do that. Um, uh, Paul says, you should want those things, especially that you might, that you might prophesy. And so God, we just ask even now that as these people have stood up, that you would begin to pour out like gifts of power. You promised that your disciples would have power. God, we just read your word tonight that you promised that your disciples would have power and authority, ability and permission to cure all diseases and kick out all demons. And so, God, we ask that you would just begin to pour that out right now. Thank you, God. Yeah, let that, let that come. You guys just keep standing up. I also felt like tonight uh, that, that the Lord was maybe let resting on maybe several of us here tonight. Uh, we've seen this sort of stuff uh, here, maybe inside of a church building, but you just haven't seen much of it outside of a church building. And I felt like there's grace here tonight for people to actually start to take some of the things that we've been talking about uh, the last couple nights outside of this building. Like, there's a real thing. It's got to go out there. I'll just tell you one more story. You guys just keep standing up. We're going to pray for everybody who's standing more here in just a minute. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story. For 16 years, my wife and I, we owned, uh, we owned a little natural food store. We just sold it last year. I saw more people get bona fide healed in my natural food store than I ever saw get healed at church. Wow. Right? Yeah. Uh, I, we would, we'll just pray for people like while they're buying something, you know? So many people. There's like, I'll tell you this too. I've prayed for literally hundreds, if not thousands of people in public and, and only like maybe four or five people ever told me, don't pray for me. People want to, people want someone to like come with them uh, in their weak spots or where they're scared and like bring the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? You don't have to be a wacko to do this either. <laughs> you don't even have to play one on TV. Yeah. Uh, uh, is there anybody here who just knows I need I need either boldness and courage or I'm just feeling called out to like do some of this stuff, not just here in the safety of, of a controlled environment where everybody believes the same things I believe, but I'm feeling called to do this out in, in public and where I work and in my neighborhood. Is that anybody? Because if that's you, I want you to stand up right where you're at. Come on, let's do that. Yeah, God is actually, this is something he's stirring up. Yeah, we've all been given these gifts. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Hey, if you're standing tonight, won't you can, can I just say something super quick? What? Yeah, come on. Just because when, when Adam said we're going to invite the Holy Spirit, as soon as we went quiet, I saw the doors opened up and I saw these angels bringing all these gurneys in. And for some of us here tonight, it's like it's like in, in, in hearing the message of Jesus, the methods of Jesus, it's like a tumor in our brain has been exposed and it has to be removed. Mm. And it could be unbelief, it can be fear, it's mm. somewhere that some way that the enemy mm. is keeping us. <laughs> from 
believing and understanding the messages, the message of Jesus, and entering in and partnering in here and out there with the methods of Jesus. And I saw people getting up and lying down in these gurneys. They were a little stressed. But then, but then it, a nurse came over and said, but don't worry, your surgeon is Jesus. And, it's, and I just saw people go, and, I, and so just when Adam gave this word, I'm like, I think there's some of us that we're invited to, into these things, but we need to get on that journey because God wants to remove that tumor that's getting in the way of you understanding and, and acting in what Jesus has given us to do. So great word. Great word. Does anybody else need to respond to that? Just stand up. Like, you know, I've got a thing that has to go tonight that's keeping me inactive. I think that's a great word, Michael. Does anybody need to respond to that who's not standing? Come on. Let's do it. It's a safe place. Everybody, we're all friends. Yeah. Hey, everybody who's standing, why don't you just come up to the front? We want to do some ministry tonight. We want to pray for people. Come on up. Come on. Come on down. Is that what they say on the prices, right? Come on then. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, let's just make some sort of a, well, I don't know. <laughs> you guys involved in church broken, you know what to do. There's lots of room on the left. My left. Yeah. Thanks, Lord. And, and if we could just get some other people here who are, are, uh, are Christians? <laughs> if you're a Christian and you're not totally crazy, could you come up and help us pray for some of these people? And if you're up here to receive prayer, why don't you just put your hands out? That'd be like a nice sign that you want prayer and we can know who to pray for and all that sort of thing. You can come up. You can come up on the other side so you can pray for them. There you go. Let's do that. Wonderful. Just. Find someone. Thank you, Lord. We just love what you do. This is such a beautiful picture of church. Where we express our need and where other really weak people come alongside us. So God, we ask for the power of your Holy Spirit to fall now. God, we ask for the power of your Holy Spirit to fill us up. God, for everyone who is asking for more. God, we ask for more. Let it, let it come. You promised it. You said it in Luke chapter 9. God, you said it in Matthew chapter 28. God, you said it in Acts chapter 1. That there would be, there would be power that would rest on your people. That we could be servants of the world. Uh, even because... We're inadequate, even in spite of our weaknesses, God, that you would do things that we cannot do. Let it come, Holy Spirit.